Hello, world. It's me, Kelly. Hello, podcasters. Thanks for being here again for now episode two. Look at us. Wow. That's part of something I want to talk about today is like sticking to my word because that's something I struggle with. I um, often overcommit and on little things, like little things, like, yeah, I totally want to go have dinner. I totally want to meet you for coffee. I totally want to do whatever. And I do, like in theory, I do. I do because that's what I'm telling people. I want to connect. I want to connect. And I do. I want everyone to connect. But I also want people to show up like real. And I want to show up real. So I tend to overcommit and then underdeliver which is like these buzzwords, right? But really, seriously, like I want to say what I mean. I want to mean what I say. And I want to show up when I'm there. And I want people to show up for me. So I am committed this year to connecting and saying what I mean and committing to the things that I know I'm going to do. So my boundaries that I'm learning about in my commitment to connect are saying no. And it's fucking not easy to do. It's embarrassingly not easy for a 47-year-old me to say no. And that's weird. But I'm also noticing when I'm honest about that, I get feedback of like, yeah, I also do that. And I listen to some great women of on podcast of We Can Do Hard Things. And I hear Glennon and Sissy and Abby talk about same, same. Like we just, especially Glennon, like, yeah, I say yes to these things and then go, I don't know what's going to change within the next 30 days. Like if I'm miraculously going to become this person who just starts going to lunch with people because I don't, I don't, I don't because in the middle of my day when I'm creating or working or whatever it is I'm doing, I'm very wrapped up in that. And I enjoy myself and I'm in the moment and I'm one of these like way in kind of people. And I know that about myself and that is not going to change. That is kind of fundamentally where I'm wired. So in 30 days, I'm going to think I want to go to that party, but I don't. So I should say no. That's another thing. By the way, if you invite me to a party, I don't want to go. If I tell you I want to go, I'm lying right to your face, not on purpose, but out of my own shame that I want to want to go, but I'm not coming. So hopefully if you do invite me, I'm able to go right away. No, I'm sorry. I love you, but I'm not coming. I appreciate and I want to be invited most of the time, but I'm not interested and I'm not interested now, really, because I'm not drinking. And drinking is a social lubricant for somebody with um, anxiety. And when I was drinking, I was pretty great at parties and pretty great at partying. And I am still great. I'm still fun. And I'm much more reliable as a human now than I was. But when I say I'm sober, to clarify, what I mean by that is I do not drink alcohol. I am a sober person. I gave up alcohol. I have been alcohol-free now uh, 13 months, and I'm pretty excited about that. I'm pretty proud of that, 
And something um, I want to talk to you guys about is that my wife is also sober, alcohol-free, 13 months. And this, my friends, is a massive triumph. And the reason why I am here talking to you, because that in itself was so motivating to me. And you guys are going to get to meet her. Her name's Erin. She's fantastic. She's going to come on. And I'm so excited about that. She's a whole lot of fun. And she drops a whole lot of wisdom and is great at talking her truths and living her truths and telling hard truths and being way less and shiny than I am. I like to really like round the edges out with people and make people feel good, whereas she can kind of just deliver the bold truth. And um, if it was like a curling team, I would be the one who was like sweeping the ice and she'd be the one like chucking the thing down the the ice valley or whatever it's called. Sorry to anyone who's super into that. But yeah, she's going to come on and that's why I'm talking openly about this subject today because she is very honest about it and um, very, very committed to being an advocate for sobriety and an advocate for how she's living her life, how I am living how together we're kind of showing up differently and how really uncomfortable that can be, uh, not only for you as an individual, for us, but how uncomfortable it is for your friend group because you're changing the social contract of who you are. You're changing how your puzzle piece fits with other people. And I really learned in a hard lesson this week that Just by existing and living and showing up the way I do, um, I am being judged by others, people that I love and who I know love me, I think. Well, I should say I think, Um, but certainly kind of came at me in a hard way about things like Facebook memes um, I I post a lot about something that might hit me and, and, and spark me. I repost it because when I see something that someone reposted or posted and it talks to me, like I, I think it's going to talk to other people. So I put it out there. It's not for anyone. It's for how I feel in that moment. It lifts me up. If I get something that resonates so deeply with me, my instant feel is to be like, I want to share that. I want everyone to feel how I'm feeling right now. I want to, I want to spread goodness. I want to spread love. I want to spread kindness. I want people to feel good. I don't care if you drink or you don't drink. Not everybody has to get sober. Not everybody has to, um, reach a point in their drinking life that makes them have to stop drinking Personally, I believe that you're much better off if you abstain from alcohol. But with that said, it's a very hard ask. It is not an easy thing to take on. And you have to know that your friends who stop drinking has nothing to do with you zero, nothing. 
and people who stop drinking are not judging their friends who drank. If anything, it appears to be the opposite. When you stop drinking, you feel instantly isolated. And that was something I had zero idea I would feel. And it's kind of embarrassing now. It's like, well, of course. I mean, look how different your life is. But even, you know, friends will invite us out to bars or to parties and they assume that maybe we're distancing because we're judging their drinking or because we're not strong enough to be friends with them. And the truth is, like, you got to have some distance between yourself and alcohol when you have had a problem with it. Listen to the words. When you've had a problem with it. I have a problem with alcohol. My wife has a problem with alcohol. There are people out there who have problems with alcohol. It's too much. I have a problem with food too. It's hard for me to be around sugar. I have a hard time turning off that valve that says don't have another piece of candy. Don't have another piece of cake. Don't have, I cannot have one cookie, you guys. I cannot. I mean, okay, I can, but it is hard. It is, it is hard. Okay, I'm going to not talk about that anymore because I get activated just thinking about a cookie. It is hard. And during that pandemic, you better believe I was baking. I was baking. Oh, I turned this place into a bakery. I could have put an open sign up at my front door. I had pretzels. You'd, I made the, these beautiful pretzels, big hunks of salt on them, huge pretzels, gorgeous pretzels. I made... Everything cookies, like Nordstrom cells, like coconut in them, nuts, all different kinds of nuts, huge chunks, different kinds of chocolate. You're, I mean, sky's the limit. I made my own bread, my own rolls, my own olive garden breadsticks, you guys, okay? I'd be in there whipping up a pot of pasta visual just so I could be making some breadsticks. I'd be like, we're going to have soup tonight and breadsticks, which means I'm going to have a small bowl of soup with like 10 breadsticks that are just for me. So I overindulge. That is my thing. And um, when you do that, when you overindulge and don't have that switch that shuts you down, that's, that's a bad thing to kind of have to navigate through in your life. And you need to be honest with it, people about it. Okay, it's, it, it helps if you're honest with people about it so that people can be supportive of you. And by that, I mean, I'm not saying somebody can look at you and be like, girl, you don't need another breadstick. Okay, that, that is not supportive. I mean, like, not putting out a cake when they invite you over for dinner. Not making the cookies, you know, if you want to have someone with that trigger over for dinner. Just being mindful, you know putting out the fruit, putting out other options. Because food, drink, all of it, it's social. It's how we love. It's how we're socialized. It is everywhere. So when I stopped drinking, the after the first couple months, my wife and I also gave up sugar. 
because I had full-blown eaten and drank myself right into diabetes. Um, My wife and I had drank ourselves right, almost right straight into a divorce. And shit was off the rails. Okay, like when people get sober, they'll tell you about rock bottoms and such. You don't have to hit a rock bottom. You don't have to be the person pushing the, you know, the cart, the uh, shopping cart stolen from Target down the street with no shoes on and hollering at the sky. You don't have to be that person, that bad off to have hit rock bottom or have hit your zero tolerance level to hit your last level of fucks to be given you know when you get there. And it is, um, it's important to listen to yourself, to listen to your cues that you your mind and that your body will tell you enough's enough. Because you're going to have a choice to make when you have those impulses to overindulge. And um, people will say they have, I have no idea. I had no idea you had a problem. I don't buy any of that because anyone who sees how people drink, they know. And they also will use that as a yardstick to judge their own drinking. Um, well, I, I've seen it happen almost with every single person I know. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And I think for a very long time, my wife and I were the yardsticks of which people could measure themselves and say, we are not them, so we're good. But now that we're sober, somebody else has to step into that place in the friend group and be the one who's like, are we them? Are are we them? Are you them? Is that us? And all of a sudden, a lot of judgment can come your way by people you've been friends with 20-something years. And um, that's fine. That's that is always going to be on the person who's judging. And that's a lesson, right? We were taught as kids, like, it isn't about you, whatever that person's saying, that's their shit, and it is. And people have a right to feel how they want to feel, and you can let them have it, and you can let them have it far away from you. Because I got a message for you. If you come across someone who's sober... If one of your friends are trying to get sober, I don't care if you don't know about what their drinking problem looks like. If you have a friend who's trying to be sober, the last thing you need to do is push them about what their sobriety should look like to you. If they are not hurting you, you need to leave them be. Because being sober is hard. It is hard, and it is fucking awesome. But it is hard in the way that you have to learn hard truths about yourself, about things you've always told yourself are true, things that you thought about others. You're showing up like full awake, and it is not easy. But it is fucking rewarding And it is freedom like I cannot explain. It is freedom from so much. 
right about this time of night, I'm recording this at 5.02 p.m., right around this time of night is like that hour where the drink starts flowing. And shit gets ugly real fast. I mean, you've got you've got good things happening, good conversation happening. You roll into like 8 o'clock, shit's ugly. I don't care what things look like on the outside, shit's ugly on the inside. Fights are happening, there's turmoil, there's misunderstandings, there's ugly arguing, and then there's a whole lot of crying, a whole lot of hurt feelings, a whole lot of resentment, and a whole lot of pain. And if you have friends who were able to say, I have got to get away from this, congratulate your friend. Take a stand and clap for your friend because what you don't know about your friends could fill the Grand Canyon. That leads me to something I want to tell you guys is that as I started this and talked about my ability to overcommit, underdeliver, I am a writer. I love writing. I write all the time and I never finish my stories. I listen to people talk about writing. I've listened to Judd Apatow talk about writing. I've watched Masterclass on writing. And everyone says the same thing. It's never going to come to you. You have to sit down every single day and write. Even if you're writing, hi, why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I writing? What am I writing? And many of you who journal might know this to be true, right? You sit down with your journal which if you're not, sit down with your journal (laughs) because it's amazing what starts to come out. You're just writing like today, I went to the store and then I saw this and then I saw that. And then all of a sudden, three pages later, you're like, okay, didn't know that was bothering me so much. Thank you. Putting that little tab on that to revisit and things just start coming out. So I have been sitting down. I've been writing. I've been writing. Very proud of myself. And I've got a story to tell you. I've got a story about why we're sober. And I am going to put it out as a blog post, but I am going to, before putting it out as a blog post in full, I'm going to read it in segments and offer it to you, the podcasters, the connectors, and... um see if I could get some feedback from you guys about what you think, if anything resonates, and just basically where we're at. And I want to share it. It's it's vulnerable. It's doing this podcast is vulnerable. It's scary. It's crazy to have your voice out there on the crazy internets for anybody to pick apart and just whatever. But um, lots of women before me were brave and they go out there and they talk and tell their story and those women fill up my ears and my brain and my heart and my belly constantly with goodness and lessons and they I'm sure went into it not knowing the huge impacts they would make women um like Sarah Silverman Chelsea Handler as I mentioned earlier Glennon Doyle Brene Brown, Abby Wambach, 
um, I am, I am just constantly amazed by the women that are in my ears and, um, talking about these beautiful subjects and hard subjects and hard truths that feel so good. Like I am never alone because I always feel like I have a room full of women talking to me and telling me stories. And I'm constantly telling my friends, listen to this, you're going to feel better. And I'm setting them an episode or I have great things to talk about that make me feel also smart, which is nice. (laughs) So um, I am going to read to you guys a little bit. And I really hope you guys like it and are able to leave me some comments, some feedback. I hope it resonates with you. It is very, very private and personal, and I am actually eager to share it with you guys because I've gotten so many texts. If you've texted me or reached out to me, thank you guys. Like, seriously, like, thank you so much. Your kindness is... It, you, I can't even tell you, like I could cry and I just want to say thank you for all the love and support and it means the world. So sharing this story, I hope helps everyone. If it helps one of you, then great. Remember, there are lots of avenues for help if you need it. There are ways also to direct message me and I'll leave links for that. You are never, ever alone. You always have groups that will support you. I am one of them. My wife will be one of them. Um, And wow, lots of love. Okay, so without further ado, there is one segment of this story to come on this episode today. Hope you love the reading. If you'd like to leave a comment, that'd be great. If you can like the podcast, if you're digging it, that'd be great. Also, just helps me see that people are listening, makes me motivated to give you guys more content if it's wanted. What we're doing here is just trying to show up to lend a friend, to remind you to connect, to remind you that people are listening. We are all in this together I want to hear from you. You can send me a direct message. Everything will be in the notes. Okay, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye, connectors. If you're lucky, there'll come a time in your life where you decide to stop drinking. This isn't meant to be a preachy story. Look at me. I'm sober. This is much more intimate than that. This is a Dear John letter to my wife's mistress. Her name is Booze, and she has many aliases. Many of you know her more intimately than you're comfortable admitting, and that's absolutely okay, until it's not. When I met my now wife, Erin, I was not ready to be in a committed relationship. I wasn't ready to be in a relationship at all. I'd recently separated from my first wife, a marriage with a lot of love, but little reciprocity and lots of drinking. My heart was still wrapped in gauze, so much so that sometimes I'd have to hide away and change the bandages. Though I thought it was my secret, it was apparent to anyone with eyeballs how wounded I was. I had some girlfriends in between, but nothing anywhere near real, although they felt real enough at the time. When I met Erin, I knew she was as real as they come, and that made me feel kind of overwhelmed. 
mostly concerned that the timing was all off. We dated a bit and I knew she was going to be a long-term situation, a long-term love, but man, I was not ready. I was so scared. She was an undertaking. Her love was a force to be reckoned with and I knew I had to show up in order to seal the deal. So although I wasn't ready, I knew the universe sent me Erin. She was my North Star and lucky for me, she was ready. And she showed up to make it clear she was worth the leap of faith. She was right. Here we are, 13 years later. 13-year span, we've been luckier than I can express. I came into this partnership worried that I wasn't healed enough to enter into a healthy union, that it would feel like three of us in it until I was healed more. I was right about one thing. There would be three of us in it, but I didn't know how present the third party would be and just how cozy they'd feel next to my newly found love. At first, God, we just couldn't stop looking at each other, couldn't stop nicknaming one another, couldn't get out of bed to even order food, but when we did, we just grabbed it at the door and brought it back to bed. My face hurt from smiling and laughing. It was that period of time accurately named the honeymoon phase. We annoyed everyone with our gushy Facebook post and constant affection and admiration of one another. Aaron's friends would continually comment on our post, Where's our cynical friend? who would pretty much delete anyone behaving in such a drunken love manner. Who is this? What have you done with our friend? I would read the post and wonder, who are they actually talking about? This woman I knew practically walked around with hearts in her eyes. She was so connected to love. She wanted every piece of it. She was intense, and that was something pretty much everyone could agree on. Whatever Aaron did, she did big. She was the best. She was so fun. The life of the party. And this was where things started to turn to a familiar feeling for me. The life of the party. That was my first wife. The life of the party was my dad. The life of the party was exactly what I didn't need, but God gravitated to with an ache that was so deep, it was impossible to even put words to. I wasn't the life of the party. I was always the one who tried to bring reason to the party. I tried to bring the party to a controllable level tried to mute the party and connect the life of the party like an outlet. I needed to be my mom. I needed to make sure I could be there to be the unfun one, the one who was outspoken about not needing a drink. Someone needs to be in their right mind, I would hear in my head. I was hooked. Not only was I in love, but I was now triggered into this emotional tug of war with who I wanted to be, who I thought I was, and then the actual as-is version of me. The scratch-and-dent, unhealed, gauzed wrap, oozing out the fucking sides, codependent mess. Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Guys, okay, that's the end of the story for now. Until next week when we re-release. Bye, connectors. I hope you enjoyed it.